Welcome to the Gooch. Welcome, welcome. Episode seven. <laughs> Today, uh, things are getting probably a little more uh, right versus left. A little more antagonistic. Like a little, it. a little more antagonistic. Maybe I'll actually have to break up a fight. Or <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, and uh, it, just before we get started, I, I've had you know the. Uh, uh, the, the pleasure of kind of going all over Canada with the work I do. And uh, it's, it's really funny. Like I get to know people um, from all, you know, different walks of life and different political beliefs and different ideologies, what works, what doesn't. And, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's great having the ability to just have these conversations yep. in a, uh, in a, you know, professional adult manner. And uh, I'm really happy we uh, we're, we're growing in listeners every day, yeah. and uh, we appreciate you being here, especially you left-handed ladies. <laughs> the merch is coming. It is. Ah, that's good. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Uh, so uh, I guess to get this started with UBI today, yeah. Um, for me, I don't think under the way we run a country now. UBI would be a good thing whatsoever. I think we'd have to literally take an axe to everything and then rebuild it from scratch. Uh, I, I don't see the current legal system being able to support um, what would basically be hyperinflation created overnight. I don't see um, the ability for UBI to really take off beyond a pilot project that ultimately fails uh, because if it's taken on by a society, especially in the society we live in now, I don't see it being uh, at all a responsible move for government uh, to be spending money like that. I'd rather invest into 12 billion into a pipeline on the hopes that a different president in a foreign country gets elected. Would that be I, I, so, I mean, obviously, I think today we're going to be in very different positions because yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent or supporter of, of UBI. I do feel as if, um, as if it would be good, but I think that before I go too deep into it, I have to kind of put it in the same thing. I'm a big fan of defunding the police, but if I don't qualify what I mean when I say that, I'm not saying eradicate all police officers. I'm saying cap their, their annual increases uh to their budget and put all those increases towards social services that can then offset some of the calls that they get which is roughly one third of their calls estimated by uh what recently there was that edmonton survey that came out that showed that one third of their calls are towards mental health issues and and re-divert it so i'm not uh, when i when i say i'm a fan of ubi there's a lot of different potentials as to what that could look like um and most of them would actually quell your fear about the the potential spike in inflation, because um, infl- wow. so inflation comes if you're what you're looking at doing is increasing the amount of money produced in order to to offset the cost, right? Well, but even then, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the money in the world isn't given just for no reason, you know. That's 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 that's, that's against um really anything anything to do with capitalism at all i mean if you look at it you're paid for your production or what you can accomplish and we're going to strip that all away and we're going to give each person x amount of dollars regardless of their productivity 
Well, okay, so <clears throat> a couple things. That's one potential way of UBI. So, sure. you, like, so there's the idea of UBI. There's like how, the how Andrew about Yang approach. You present right? ideas of UBI. Yeah, and I try to on my end kind of give you like kind of give the negative touch back. Hundred percent. So, like, I'll start with the more popular one, then, which was Andrew Yang's, right? Because Andrew Yang is probably the more popular one. That's the one that we have the talking points from, like Ben Shapiro and those guys as well, more more on the right that would argue against it. But Andrew Yang's was um, not one that I think would work in Canada. It's one that, like, so the United States can do a lot of things that Canada can't do. Very true. um, Just based off of a how much overfunding their military gets and and. So therefore, how much available budget there would be to basically create a cut and and spend it on on specific services, be it like okay, health, so Medicare under for Andrew all Yang's ideology, who gets what and when? So his his proposal was citizenship. So okay. citizenship is your qualifier, and uh, it was one thousand dollars a month. So you just needed to be a U.S. citizen, and you got a thousand dollars. Yeah. So basically, the math that he did in order to qualify that position. So um, funding first, because that's going to be the biggest question coming from the the right. Yep. So uh, the estimated amount of fund it was uh, roughly one percent of uh, GDP. Right now, military gets four percent of GDP, so roughly one quarter of military funding could then go to more or less uh, support this entire system. Now, okay. So, so the money is available in the U.S. In Canada, again, this is this is not one that I would think would work as as effectively in Canada. Mm-hmm. But in the United States, again, they have a fuck ton of capital. They have that ability. So, but you you also say that kind of lackadaisically. I mean, could the military theoretically afford a cut of twenty five percent to its bottom line? A hundred percent. The companies that couldn't are going to be the private ones. So, like one of the things that we've has been a recurring theme when we've talked about police so, officers and police training is the okay. fact that they have advanced military weapons. And that's because right now contractors are are constantly so rather than a supply and demand uh scheme where demand spikes supply, they have a supply and demand scheme where supply spikes uh, demand. So basically, they have an R and D portion of the military that then uh, feeds into this this ideal that they need to purchase the newest, latest, greatest of every single uh, component that's developed. Well, and- that's how a military should operate. I the last thing you want to do, especially as America, I mean, that's why I'm saying this would have to undergo a humongous axing because. The, the corporations that would suffer would be the private corporations. That's exactly what you said. No, it'd be the ones that are publicly traded. Well, but it depends on what you, what you well, it depends on, it's the, if it's the, the military, private military itself contractors. took a 25% cut. Yeah. You said that would affect mainly private business. No, only private contractors within the military. So okay. I'll, I'll kind of explain how that spending goes right back to the U.S. anyways. So, um... I think the first thing we have to do is agree on the fact that all of the spending on the military is not coming back proportionally as an investment, right? That's a loss leader, it, right? Well, military spending is typically seen that way, whether or not is it's it done, a loss it, leader to start learning Chinese now in that logic? I mean, here's the thing. I mean, if you're if your 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 budget is set at a certain point, yeah. I mean, you could say that these corporate, privately traded, or corporate companies are going to take a bashing. But here's the thing. I mean. In a country that manufactures next to fuck all now, yep. 
you're going to literally take away what little manufacturing the USA has in weapons by thrashing the military budget to give everybody $1,000 a month. Dis- disagree. So the, f- the first point is basically the military is not an investment financially. It's an investment in security, which can trickle down into the, the, the financial aspect of it. But it's not... You don't spend a hundred billion dollars on the military and expect to get a hundred and fifty billion in return. No, I think that's what not. I'm kind of saying. So, so when you cut one I quarter mean, unless, of that, unless you go back to the marauding wave, yeah, yeah, you know, but, but that's definitely not how <laughs> things are cool done. Shit, I yeah. want it now. But uh, but but basically, here's the kind of the the interesting component of that. If you were to take that one quarter and you were to put it into the pockets of regular Americans, so. Um, Again, one reason why the U.S. needs thing, programs like this more is because their social safety net is garbage. Like, Canada is not in the same horrible position as the United States, so these statistics are not going to be as representative in Canada as they are in the U.S., but um, they say that over 80% of Americans are roughly three weeks away uh, or, or living pay to pay, paycheck to paycheck, and if they were to go three weeks without a paycheck, then they would go, they would have, they would go into bankruptcy. Um, or at least into receivership, right? So uh, the, there's that component. There's the fact that uh, it was over 55% of Americans couldn't afford an unexpected $500 bill. So those right there are two major components of that. So um, because one of the things that's incredibly expensive is also court costs and going through insolvency and bankruptcy and all of those things, right? These are incredibly costly, but they're borne by the taxpayer. So when you're giving that money out, two things are going to happen. One, those people that were that like, we're still going to have poverty. We're still going to have wealth, right? Mm-hmm. So, so neither of those are being eliminated. So the people who think that this is creating an ideal world, no, we're not. It, UBI is not meant to bring people up to a middle class. It's meant to give them the bare minimum to survive, right? A thousand dollars a month is uh, $28 more annually than what the United States considers their poverty line. So <coughs> it's not, it's not a whole heck of a lot, but basically what you're doing is you're, you're taking an understanding of the fact that the bulk of the population in the United States is cash poor and realizing that they're going to spend it locally most often or at least spend it domestically. Right. And so well, how, how almost, can you possibly know that? So it depends on. Well, I mean, almost all commerce is going to be done domestically. So, like, even even for the United States, they're going through Amazon. Ideally, Amazon is going to be taxed. They're, they've been able to skirt it for a long yeah. time. But, but that's y- the here's whole the thing. I mean, who's that. who's to say the guy that gets a thousand bucks isn't immediately going to throw that on the forex market? I mean, that's the thing. There is no accountability for where the money is going. And yeah, no. you can say bulk of it's going to stay local. But here's the thing: you have no way of knowing that. And like the the real thing that bothers me about just getting a thousand dollars a month is like for one like you said either you got to thrash the military budget which you know could be done if we axed the whole system because like i said you're gonna you're gonna chop away um the the bulk of the manufacturing jobs that remain if you so go after the military budget so that's there's going to be more unemployment cost. so that's just to cover the upfront cost the maintenance of it is actually mm-hmm. going to be uh, covered by the reduction in services provided through other means so uh-huh. again there's de- so Andrew Yang's idea was actually to supplement uh, welfare mm-hmm. and basically remove specific social services mostly because those social services have a really poor percentage of the dollars donated transferred to the people who are in need because of administrative costs like 
most people in school realize that you're paying your tuition towards administrative fees. You're not paying your prof. You're not paying for the actual advice. You're paying an insane amount of administrative fees, right? And it's a lot of bureaucracy that's tied up in there. And that's the same kind of idea when you're talking with poverty, right? The people who are dealing, like, if you were to look at the minister of poverty reduction, that person is going to be making five times the, the poverty rate right mm-hmm. this is not a fair conversation this is not somebody who's actually experienced in what they're talking about right this is somebody who's an elite who's been put, positioned into a place to play to play a father figure um when you're giving people a thousand dollars a month you're allowing them to make those decisions that's all about that that narrative of freedom and especially in the united states where that narrative of freedom is big the idea of buying local is a lot more heavily supported yeah but freedom but, isn't free but well actually most freedom can be quite free depends on what what you well, consider the cost he, here, here's the issue i mean you start giving everybody a thousand dollars a month like i don't see it happening uh based on okay we're gonna attack the military budget and then we're gonna attack other systems that aren't really giving the money efficiently but those systems still exist now i mean if they're that inefficient why are they still there because they're a stopgap they're they're horrifically inefficient but it's it's unfortunate that we need to there's an upfront cost to destroy them. So a good example would be right now, I'm going to use an odd example that I swear this is a weird tangent and I understand it, but it is going somewhere. So in downtown Vancouver, um, all of the uh, all of the power lines are above uh, are below ground on the main two streets in downtown. Now, I don't know if you've ever driven in downtown Vancouver, but the traffic weights are fucking horrific. You're dealing with like California on uh, at at the worst time of day on a regular basis in Vancouver. Two and a half, three hour wait sometimes on a bridge. It's a, it's absolute garbage. So moving around sucks. I lived there for most of my life, um, but the power lines in the ground are horribly inefficient and are constantly failing, and they need to be redone. Mm-hmm. Right. The problem is the cost to do that is to shut off access to downtown for roughly four months, or to really drastically reduce it and massively increase uh, the uh, the amount of wait time, right? So there's no good solution. They're horribly inefficient. Yeah. But they're there because that the time they were the most efficient thought, right? Doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that they they didn't have some form of uh, some form of utility, but they've just aged out of that utility. I just think it's incredibly funny that you know any left-wing person is going to support ubi when realistically you know most left-wing people tend to support more governmentally funded programs and companies and you know uh, if if you're looking after the well-being of everybody and you know you have to then sacrifice what you produce to keep other people on the same livable level as you're saying you know is there really any difference between creating proper government functioning organizations and a UBI? Because basically what you're saying is the individual is still right. We're going to give them money over the government, but it still needs to go through the government. And this is where I disagree with UBI is because bureaucrats, they so, suck. So the problem and they're is, at every is that- level of government. And no matter how efficient you make government, there are, there's always going to be a admin fee on this ubi like you have to look at it and say okay if every person's getting a thousand dollars what are they taxing every person for 
You know, now, if, well, like you so, said, we start cutting things out and saying, OK, well, the military doesn't need this much money and these systems are inefficient anyways. You know, I, I, I just don't see like how that. Uh, yeah, you can go in there with an axe and start, like I said, cutting everything up and start from the beginning. And that's like I said, the only way I could see UBI ever really working is if you start from square one again, because so, our society isn't written to care for the fellow man. Uh, the American society is written to care for yourself with what you have and what you can produce. That's only in the last 35, 40 years. That's the problem is that's, that's the design that's come out of the Milton Friedman version of economics, who, by the way, supported UBI. So in a very different sense. So I'll talk about his style in a minute, but because uh, right now I'm just talking about Andrew Yang's and I genuinely of all of the versions I've heard, his is the least attractive to me, mostly because we bring in Canadian context. We understand what it's like to have a safety net yeah. in the States. They just simply do not have a safety net. And I don't think supplying a person with an extra thousand dollars and cutting a whole bunch of other things is going to help that safety net at all. So I, well, okay. So here's, here's, here's I mean, a good that's example really the of only what thing happens. That a UBI is trying to do is provide a better safety net then that's 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 the worst way you could do it because it literally would give any free enterprise uh, the decision. Okay, well, how are we going to search for a labor market when people can just get a thousand dollars? So what we're going to do supply is we're going to get on, supply and demand again. Yeah. Where the problem is is again, most of the American approach has been to invert that supply and demand chain, right? Sure. Create an overabundance of supply, market the effectiveness of that supply or the benefits of that supply, or use scare tactics, which is typically the American approach to so it. So why not and just then, uh, and then provide... shove that fucking supply down? They're basically artificially inflating demand. That's what they've been doing for a long time. So, so why this not is why just provide food? But this is well, why, but because every time you provide food, two things that happen. One, when you provide food, the, the people who are providing food to those communities already then lose a job. They lose their ability to produce. Now you have another person you have to provide food for. But if you're taking it away from the military, what's the difference? The military is a it's a largely profitable machine. So uh, those those military cro- uh, contractors are not in the bottom echelon, like lower echelons of society, financially speaking. Right. Fair. And they also don't comprise the, the same military veterans that are on the street like if let's say if the military had part of its budget budgetary prerequisite was that no military uh, former military member ended up homeless right the military the u.s military like we've seen with vaccine rollouts is incredibly efficient and effective so there is there is no one i would i would suspect would find the solution to ending homelessness faster and more efficiently than the u.s military they don't have any desire to do it because again in the last 35 40 years we've been dealing with this fucking nonsense of milton freeman's approach to economics but when you've got a giant profitable machine like that that doesn't even take care of its own it's let lets tons of people drop into it into homelessness right we can realize that when they're negatively contributing to it we can cost some of those resources back Right. So a good portion of of homeless. So homeless in Canada and homeless in the U.S., very different statistics. Right. And that's that's a unique one in the U.S. They're largely younger and and former military um, with a a smattering of drug issues and mental health issues. In Canada, it's almost inverted. You have mental health issues and drug issues with a smattering of veterans and young people. Right. Now, that's not to say one is better or worse. They're all horrific. I don't like seeing any of those people fall between the cracks. But when you're dealing with that in the States, it's it's a different beast right they're already letting those people fall through it's like how how walmart can um both accept food stamps while paying their employees so little that they require food stamps 
that's that's basically benefiting both side from both sides of the coin because they get to turn those food stamps into pure value of the cash the actual value when they're returning it to the government with a receipt so they're able to double dip because they're inefficient and ineffective at treating their employees properly in the United States. In Canada, we've allowed unionization to within to, with to to a varying degree, but at least we protect our employees a lot better. In the states, not at all. So, when you're negatively contributing to the issue, um, th- I think that there's going to be almost a, a a mandate on you to to provide something as a result. So, again, I'm not a big fan of andrew yang's i think there are way better approaches to it but his was in the united states context the fastest easiest quickest thing you could do without destroying the entire system because you could do it immediately well not having to increase taxes on anyone basically just reducing the bloat on one or one industry initially yeah and then what you do is you but start seeing so much goes into that industry in the 100 percent and that's and a that's, huge problem, that, That's right? what like I'm saying. I mean, they occupy like, 176 different countries. They are yeah, all it, over the planet. But it, you can't just... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it, it, unless you're going in to the entire program with an axe, you can't just implement a UBI. And that's, uh, that's, that's, what I'm, that's why I'm very hesitant on this whole Yang philosophy of, oh, everybody gets a thousand bucks. Because, like, you can't, like, yeah, great. We could just say, okay, we're going to pick on the military. The U.S. defends most of the world, at least from, uh, look, look at the spending in NATO, for example. Yep. I mean, no other country comes remotely close to nope. the amount of money that the U.S. puts into NATO. No other country interferes more internationally and causes more enemies abroad than the United States. So... There, when well, can you really be allies with Saudi Arabia? They and, are allies with Saudi well, Arabia. But, but he, he, seventeen of the hijackers in nine eleven were from Saudi Arabia, almost all of whom were uh, educated at the post secondary le- level in England. Right. Mm-hmm. The reality is, is that they're all tied directly at the hip. Iraq had a compete. Iraq and Iran both had competing oil reserves, which is why they were the first two countries that were named to it. It's why Donald Trump went even harder at Iran, a country that had been following the nuclear protocols for a long time so all of this oil bullshit the reality is is most wars are a offensive and b attempting to make a profit it's why they were like like it's the ideology that prevented them from understanding what was happening in vietnam it's what led them to lose even though they had fewer deaths they had one hundred and fifty thousand uh um fucking marines died but over two million vietnamese uh died and we still to this day will say the vietnamese won Mm -hmm. right because they they were fighting not to to occupy something they were fighting for independence because they were fighting against Russia and China for years prior to that right like they ended so so the US just didn't understand the ide- ideology when it went in there but regardless of all of that mm-hmm. the fi- the financial aspect of the military in the United States can be manipulated without without hurting too many things a good portion of that budget goes towards private military contracts and those private military con- military contracts are carried out um outside of u.s jurisdiction to do things that oftentimes the u.s government wouldn't want direct a direct hand in right because they don't want to get dirty which is like you know fucking around with other elections in international waters true right so i don't know that it's as disruptive to the issue as 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 you think but let's pivot because again i this is something i don't even necessarily like right like there there are different approaches and i I, I just argue that you couldn't take i mean Regardless of how you see the U.S. military, they also defend the world from a lot of terrible shit. Yep. You know, like, it's... 
So the U.S. military is also going to have a desire to pull troops out, right? So like mm-hmm. when Obama won the the uh, Nobel Peace Prize um, for reduction in in deaths relating to war, that was American numbers only, right? Because he intre- he increased the the number of drone strikes drastically. So what you ended up with was the death counts of innocent uh, innocent bystanders in foreign countries that we don't count call people, we call insurgents. Uh, that went up drastically, mm-hmm. right? So, but he still got, he still gets the peace prize, and that's because we have a different approach to this us versus them kind of idea that the U the U S has adopted kind of wholesale, right? Mm-hmm. But that that line of thinking doesn't really work the same way in a lot of the rest of the world. So the U S the U S's offensive approach to those things is not a good thing, I would say, but. Again, a, a different approach to UBI, and I think that one is that's more unique, um, is right now South Korea has been operating UBI system for seven months. Mm. And not a lot of people know this, but just outside, uh, so, so they have multiple provinces in South Korea. And what they did was about seven months ago, they chose a small province that had seen a massive uh, downturn in uh, their labor markets. Because so for context sake, South Korea is one of the most technologically advanced countries on the planet. Yeah. So they say in the next five years, 30% of their productivity is going to be generated by robots. 30% Holy shit. of their national productivity. Because you got to remember, Hyundai, Kia, like they have major manufacturing hubs in in South Korea, right? Yep. So that, that's what they're, know, they're known for. And so they started with 200,000 people. And what they did was they gave them the $1,000. Now, here's here's how you can pop a bear that $1,000 where you can direct them how to spend it within within reason while you're still giving them freedom. Yeah. What South Korea did, I think, was quite, quite unique. They gave them a form, of, a form of currency that A, expired, and B, was only valid locally. So you had to register as a company, you had to register to accept this funding, like uh, to, to be able to accept the money, the mm-hmm. currency, right? But those people ended up spending, and basically local merchants were able to not only stay afloat, but hire more people and pull people out of the poverty line as a result. What you saw was a, a decrease in the profit numbers year over year in their biggest industries, because that's where they were getting their money from through taxation, through through uh, uh, trying to trying to increase the taxation on the the higher earners. But as a result, those people were spending more locally. Now, the other thing that you got was a massive reduction in uh, in healthcare costs, mm-hmm. right? Um, it depends on where you take the da- data from. So in Canada, in that Dauphin study, which I know Adam's going to have more to add, just because it's kind of cool. His mom grew up there during the time, but. Um, in the Dauphin study, what they found was 8.9% uh, reduction in hospitalization rates, right? Massive de- decrease in um, in domestic violence. Um, so the, the uh, increase in, in enrollment in school, uh, decrease in, uh, in, psych- in seeking psychiatric treatment. So people's mental health were significantly improved. The only reduction in terms of workforce engagement coming out of Dauphin was... Uh, um, pregnant or recent mothers and current students. Those are the only people who reduced their amount of work. Fair enough. Everybody else kept the same amount of work. But in South Korea, what they do is to wean people off. So what the way the healthcare system works, in, or the, the not healthcare, the, um, the uh, fucking poverty, what the hell is the, the word for it when you're getting... Uh oh. Oh man, what is the word when you're getting you're on welfare, the welfare oh. system. Sorry. Yeah. So so the way the welfare system works in Canada is um you qualify if you hit certain things, right? So a lot of people don't because a lot of the time substance use is on there, it's staying clean, things of that nature, right? So there's a lot of papa bear qualifiers to get in. 
But on top of that, so let's say you get your $1,000 a month or whatever it is through welfare. It's a little bit more, but we'll just keep it at a round figure just for this the sake of argument. Um, but uh, you're Joe Schmo on the street, and you get a job, right? The second you make $1,001, all of that's gone, right? You're no longer qualifying because you're above the minimum threshold. So yeah. they remove it entirely. Now, here's the kicker. On that $1,001, you're now being taxed because you're now a member of society. So you're actually making less than you were when you were homeless, and you're working, so you're worse off. So there, the current health, uh, welfare system in Canada is disastrously broken. It's a joke. It disincentivizes work, which is the biggest argument coming from the right, right? The reality is, is if, if you know that a minimum wage job is actually going to decrease how much money you get monthly... You have no in, uh, desire to get a minimum wage job. So there's two approaches to this. We can increase the minimum wage, which does the exact same thing, right? It, mm, it, not not really at all, but okay. Well, the goal is to do the exact same thing. It basically, it puts pressure on businesses to ensure that they're paying people to stay above. If you're working a 40-hour work week. It puts pressure it, on businesses to run with less people is what it ultimately does. Or to run with less profit. I mm. mean, the reality is we each have worked for businesses that have uh, I, absentee I, owners it, who it, think that they can make passive income off of people's labor mm-hmm. i mean in the first episode the first thing one of the first things you said was i see taxation as theft the reality mm-hmm. is is for someone like us who's a salesperson but let's let, let's take someone in manufacturing so like because manufacturing is the argument for ubi right mm-hmm. and let's take someone in man- manufacturing so on monday they get an order of fifty thousand dollars worth of raw material that shows up at their at, at the the factory that they're working yeah. at right and over the course of two weeks they turn that fifty thousand dollars uh worth of raw material into a hundred thousand dollars worth of sellable material right and they might make in the course of those two weeks four thousand dollars right of that fifty thousand dollars so we're talking less than ten percent of the profit right there that's over ninety percent of the profit that was was uh stolen effectively by the business owner now you might say okay well they had all this capitalist all all this investment cool all that investment into uh uh, sitting on a pallet without the actual person there to create to create the value out of the raw goods means nothing well then okay well we might have that guy who set up the factory right you needed to obviously have that without that you can't have that value cool a factory there without the raw goods and without the investors means nothing the reality is is they're inextricably tied right the problem is, is the only person who's getting exploited like a motherfucker is the frontline workers, the people who are actually creating real value. The other people are just pretending to create value by throwing their money around. Mm-hmm. But that's the real theft that's happening. And when we don't have a manufacturing hub, which we've lost most of our manufacturing, right, in, in North America, not just the United States, not just Canada, but all of North America has lost a good portion of its manufacturing, mostly because of Friedman, Friedman economics, when you only have to to prioritize the shareholder, then outsourcing your labor markets to try and decrease the cost is a, a valid approach to trying to achieve those goals. Sure, yeah. But unfortunately, that's that's what puts us into this hole, right? And the United States is set to lose. They, they, their estimates are a little bit longer than South Korea's, but they're in 10 years, 28% of their labor market's going to go. And most of those are truckers. So when you say learn to code to those people, which you do hear from the left, which is fucking offensive, right? Truckers are not going to learn how to fucking code. They have a high school education. 70% of the United States population has no more than a high school level education. They're not going to suddenly become hackers overnight. They're not going to be able to just change within the labor market. But they will be able to learn. And the nice thing is, is when you have something like UBI, then it provides them that little bit of a leash 
to be able to take that chance to take a course to go uh, to also go and do just this. allows you to live off of that i mean not well exactly but it's it's the choice i mean you could you could have done what you wanted society doesn't want you doing that anymore yep most people are going to feel kicked when they're down just give up yep now this is why i really don't like ubi because it allows that depending on how much it is now, granted, a thousand dollars a month probably not going to cut it. No, in but, Canada, your poverty line by the federal uh, government is nineteen thousand five a year, so mm-hmm. that's like you're, you're, about fifteen hundred, roughly. However, like you know, you could also look at the other fact of this too and say, okay, well, what would what would stop people from just you know banding together till you have a group of enough people? Because you know, one person at a thousand dollars a month might not be able to live. Yeah. But five people at five grand a month might. Yep. You know? So what we're going to do is create low income housing rather well, than what, something well, so, that rather than already doing that, but pay, putting it on the backs of the taxpayers more directly. True. Those those people are then making that decision rather than that decision being foisted on us. But what what production are you getting out of those people? I mean, what what are they doing for society other than spending the money that you're giving them? Well, reducing their costs would be one of the first things when, when you're, well, two, two things, first of all, $5,000 a month, you're really not going to be able to have a massively amazing life, but you like with five people in there, now, you'll, you'll still, you'll still be able to do most things. Right. Yeah. But you're also not going to be, you're not going to be in disincentivized to do anything uh, uh, positive either. Right. And the reality is, is if you're already a communal type person looking to live with other people and share your wealth together, the likelihood that your goal is to create some sort of like uprising or negative or create some sort of crime ring in that, in those zones is, is pretty slim to none. It's not so much the crime. It's the, the, the crime of not doing anything. I mean, not doing anything is the future of the world, unfortunately. And unfor- and the reality is, is, is that word anything, most people do that anyways. So in the United States, 32% of all people, all employed people, mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, actively, or, or sorry, are, are happy with their job. 32% are mm-hmm. happy with their job. 16% hate their jobs with such a fiery passion that they're only there because they absolutely have to be. And then you have the other 51% that is somewhere in that middle ground, but mostly just shows up physically. They don't actually care. So... You're already not doing anything, right? The reality is, is you're not doing fucking anything. But if you get to choose that not anything, maybe we have another Shakespeare, right? The reality is, is that most people are forced into position. Like we talk about like that, the pro-life argument is always like, what about another Einstein? Well, the only reason that he would be able to do that is because he had free time, right? He had free time. We don't have free time anymore. Financially speaking, we definitely don't. But I think that that's the hardest part to deal with is the fact that it, the future that we're looking at is not going to look what we like what we see now, right? Most people aren't doing a whole lot. Most people are about one third to maybe one half as efficient as they're supposed to be, right? To their employer, mm-hmm. right? Because we're going to like every time you're about to do a work email, you're like, well, I'm going to look at this Google ad. Oh, shit, a YouTube video. Oh, my God, there's a Spotify mix, right? And you're going to just link through all of that and you don't end up actually being as productive as you claim to be so we have to change how we view labor i think first and foremost output and input is going to be has to be largely uh changed because the only people who have their output measured like effectively are the lowest producers not not the lowest producers of output those people that are working their fucking asses off but they are the the people on the bottom rungs of society right like if we were so 
There's a couple of other interesting studies because a lot of people, I think a lot of the paternalistic arguments that you have are because it seems to most people that poor people make fucking horrible decisions. It's not so much that. It's, I, I don't care what decisions someone that makes more or less make as long as it's not with my fucking money. Yeah, but it's- you know, and that's that's where I'm at. I mean, if if, if you're ultimately going to tax people to give that money to, well, essentially what we're doing now, I mean, it's not really going to change all that much. But if we're doing it on a mass scale, I, I, I just don't see uh, the, the economy and the structure of how society's built surviving on... Because a thousand dollars a month, well, that's just not so, going to be so enough, and then it's going to be two thousand dollars a month. So, and then you know, we look at that, and it's okay. Now we're now these people are getting this much money every month, and it's it, like it, we can we can see whenever we give you know uh, money to really any uh, belittled or um, hurt group, it, it doesn't solve the problem. It just prolongs of, it. Uh, what's an example of a group that we gave money to that didn't work? Just out of curiosity, just so I have like a concrete argument. Well, I that. think you know, like the, the, the if you look at any native community in, in in Canada, I mean, if we go in there and we ultimately try to help them, it, it ultimately boils down to a dollar figure. It, it doesn't boil down to education of any kind. It doesn't boil down to a really you know apology. It it, it boils down to here's twenty million for your reserve. See you when you want money again. And it doesn't teach uh, the community how to better itself. Uh, A lot of the times the drug use increases, the debt increases, uh, you know. um, Those stats are actually wrong. So financially speaking, when people in the places that they've tested it, so in South Korea and India in parts of Canada and parts of the U.S., Mm -hmm. when they've given people money, it was actually people who were uh, more than double the poverty line that were more likely to increase their drug use, whereas people who were below the poverty line decreased it massively because now they were able to participate in society. So it's it's not exactly what you think. And the the only reason I mentioned the bad decision-making is because it's true potentially so there was a study that's fucking insane so this dude uh, these two researchers went to india because there are um rice workers in india now for rice for people who don't know how rice uh, rice fields work they they can be flooded once a year so you have a harvest once a year right so these guys lived off of 70 percent of their income for like they would get 60 to 60 to 70 percent of their income on one day yeah for the entire year <coughs> right so what they did was this wasn't even about productivity. It wasn't about anything else. What they did was prior to the harvest, they had all of the workers take an IQ test. And following the harvest, they had the, all of their workers take an IQ test. The difference between the two was 14 points. When you have money, you're not stressing out. When you're not stressing out, you're able to focus on on the, the clearer picture and create an actual plan for yourself. And when you can do that, you actually literally become smarter. This the same people and their IQ points were dropping by 14 points pro- when they were living in poverty the same person hmm. within the same calendar year. So we're, this is not, this is something that actually people don't realize the effects of stress on the brain, but it actually can deteriorate your ability to think logically and reasonably about how to spend your money. And when you think that you're already lost, people give up. A lot of people give up, right? When you think you've already lost, a lot of people are going to go, well, what's the point? I might as well get high. Fair enough. Right. And that's, that's, part and parcel why the current welfare system is so ineffective and i do think that that south korean option like 
just to use the the Jason Kenny waste of fucking billions of dollars example, right? So we'll just we'll just use the smaller figure of two billion dollars from a population standpoint in the uh, in in Alberta. That would be about three hundred and fifty dollars to every single Albertan, man, woman, and child. Yeah. Right. If we gave them out in let's say we don't have mastercard or visa but we create our own weird third uh, like our own third party credit card system and we only give it out to private businesses and they can accept that money we now are not having the mass layoffs that we're having people are still able to go to work and if you're only reducing that that so basically andrew yang's um the one thing i liked from yang's proposal was the issue with welfare, like I said, is if you make $1,001 on paper, they're going to pull all the services, right? Yeah. In Andrew Yang's, let's say you make $1,001, well, they're only going to pull 50 cents of your services. They actually only claw back at half. So if you're making uh, $1,500, they're going to be clawing back half of the original thousand coming back so you're actually gonna they're gonna be still giving you a buffer zone so that there isn't a disincentive to work in fact if you start out working you and you start climbing the ladder early you're gonna be making a lot more money normally and able to accelerate your growth into the actual economy right so there are approaches that can benefit and again those people have so little money the goal all of their money is going towards people who aren't taxed a lot of the time the drug dealers the drug pushers um or things that are in the United States, undertaxed in Canada, incredibly taxed, tobacco products, alcohol products, right? But that's where most of that money goes. In Canada, you see a lot more people drinking Listerine than you would in the United States, only for the fact that alcohol is more expensive here, but still just equally as addictive. So I think that there are ways of creating a system that quells all those issues, though, because I do think that when you look back at the data coming out of Manitoba, it was pretty incredible you're the 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 improvement to people so the enrollment in education went up drastically we already talked about the hospitalization rates going down now hospital pardon me hospitalization rates going down in the u.s that doesn't mean fuck all for this system proposal but in canada it does because a 10 percent reduction or 8.9 percent reduction in rates that's a huge reduction in cost just in maintenance right now you don't have to staff as much especially administrative staff because those are the ones that are overburdened when you're when the the hospital's at capacity the doctor's working just as hard right so in canada we actually have ways of saving uh on on all of that now we also have a lot more unique issues of our own but Mm -hmm. we've kind of i mean i think that there's ways of understanding that there's a beneficial way now the way Milton Friedman described the potential is a kind of a different one, but it's a negative income tax. And that's how, how he described, he said, if we're going to have my economic system, we need a negative income tax to prevent people from falling below the line of poverty, because what's going to happen is with all of this accelerated growth happening year over year, the top's going to fly out of the gates and they're not going to be stopped. Right. And yeah, Yeah. if you look from late seventies till now, that's exactly what's happened. Right. And the problem is, is once you're at the top, you're rewriting the rules and basically able to kneecap everybody coming after you. And that's, what's also happened. Right. But they never actually implemented the one social policy that Friedman was in favor of, which was the negative income tax. Mm -hmm. And all that was was to make sure, like, if you make less than this, we top you up. If you make nothing, we don't top you up, right? But if you make, if you make, if you're working, you get topped up to the below, like, to the poverty line, right? Fair enough. Because if you're contributing to society, society has to see you as bare minimum a person within that society. And that was all that it was. Like, that was the argument. And... That argument has been around for over 500 years in, in like the original writing was in Utopia way back when, which was also taken over by, I think Marx, it was largely influenced a lot of Marx's decision. So mm-hmm. you have the far left and far right that have largely agreed that an, 
in some capacity, this is going to have to happen. But the other way to kind of to to push back against some of the opposition you might have is when you get into the idea of taxing productivity, what it does is when companies benefit off of automation, government does too. So you mm-hmm. have a direct tie-in to a, a automation-based uh, productivity that increases their tax rate based off of how much they're using it because they're reducing the workforce that they're relying on to do it, right? So kind of like that's that's the biggest push for South Korea because South Korea is just so fucking automated. When I heard that stat of 30% in five years, that's shocking. Yeah. Like shocking to think. But also that means one-third of their economy is being produced with quite literally doing nothing, zero effort. So one third of their econ- uh, of their people could, in theory, be catered to by robots, right? And so there, there's always going to be a reason not to do something radical, for sure. And all mm-hmm. of the and and the suggestion of changing how welfare is being done after 50, 60, 70 years, depending on which country you're in, is a radical one for sure. But it's not so radical so as to not make sense when you realize how broken our current and ineffective our current system is, because it's not like we're not spending money. If we were spending no money and what I was proposing was, was a thousand dollars a month, then yeah, you'd be right to look at me and go, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. Right. But we that's not the case. We're spending a lot of money on this. And if we can reduce healthcare costs and like we were talking off air before this prison costs, Prison costs is a huge one. And a lot of the times it's because you're falling through the cracks. So what most people don't know, and this will be my little law bend for the day. Most people don't realize that the most imprisoned ca- charge that you have in Canada. So the charge that put puts most people behind bars. Do you know what it would be? Or venture a guess? Um, mischief. Uh, bail conditions. Who knew? Failing bail conditions. Because most people get it light to so the judges are incentivized to not put people in jail on the first one which often infuriates the public um now the reason that's the case is because provincial prisons are roughly eighty thousand dollars a year 233 dollars a day per person uh federal prisons significantly worse right 125 to 140 thousand dollars a year you're looking at 350 to 370 dollars a person right in prison so there, the amount of funding that we have, I would actually like to see a massive reduction in the funding going towards the prison system on an as-needed basis, as in like literally reducing the requirement for prisons and therefore being able to reduce the the funding going to them, not do it first and then hope it reduces yeah, the yeah. But uh, but yeah, as a reactive uh, approach. But when you realize that a lot of people are failing based off bail conditions and bail conditions include little things like petty theft and petty theft is often encouraged by a lack of cash resources. If you make a a local spending requirement on this money, there's a strong chance that even if you get 5% of those people falling through the cracks off, right, you get them on solid ground, you're saving significant amount of money investing in those few people. Fair enough. So, uh, I mean, just just to give further context to how expensive the legal system is and why it would be good to make sure that all all people below the poverty line never go to court because that is the biggest tax we fucking pay is on average your cost for court for a single day is going to be over $2000. Well, I don't think that all crime would stop after UBI was 100% created not. No, no, either, no, no, no. right? Like like the, yeah, you can say and I'll agree with you. Yeah, I mean if you if you start giving 
a little bit of, you know, commerce to these people, yeah, there'd probably be a reduction in crime yep. to a point. Yep. I mean, it, but it's not going to change the fact that crimes are still committed. Oh, of course not. It's not going to, like, nothing, none of these, as radical as they are, they're not sweeping changes, right? We're not yeah. looking to create the, if, like, to reduce the fucking you're, poverty you're rate right. from 10% yeah, if, to, if you uh, could, like, to zero. If you could implement a UBI in our country, you could see, a, a, you know, a drop in healthcare cases, a drop in, you know, crime. But what are you doing to scarcity, supply and demand, business? Uh, you know, how, how are you getting that money? That's the biggest problem with it, because especially in Canada, you know, we start taxing more to get this UBI set up. Or do we look at where our money's going as it is? You know, a lot of that's quite stressed. So, you know, there's a cut. So the argument 15 years ago would have made every Albertan shit themselves. But for over 40 years, there is one state in the U.S. that has had UBI in place. It's an annual payment that's made out. You know what state that is? Alaska. There you go. And you know why? Fucking oil. It's fucking oil, yeah. Oil. Oil is why. Because basically what they did was they created a socialized system. All Alaskans, if you're an Alaskan citizen, you are considered an investor in their oil reserves because you are part and parcel part of it. Which is also the argument largely that came from every other province when Alberta would bitch about the transfer payments, right? That it's a Canadian thing, and yes, your labor is there and all of that, but we are we are not an uh, individual state. We are a united federation, right? And we're a very different approach to how we do things. Well, yeah, um, I mean, if it was on an equal footing, sure. But when people in Quebec yeah, pay Quebec, Quebec is significantly big... less for education and child care... And they go after us for more money. Well, and up until 2016, they were importing oil from Saudi Arabia, a literal terrorist nation. So I can't defend the the Quebec on that one. Quebec has political advantages. So the reason why it's hard for me to argue for against um, examples using indigenous people or examples using Quebec is because both of those groups had lost some form of a pivotal war in Canadian history. And Canadians, rather than dancing on their graves like americans do uh created like a bridge agreement to go yeah well we didn't actually defeat you if you're okay with that in history want to have an agreement and then we'll just be nice to you like quebec has more more they have their own independent legal system they have more access to the supreme court so three seats have to be held by someone coming from a quebec coming from quebec which is absurd because that's one third of the court so one third of the court is quebec the Western Canada on, on average has zero representatives or one. And the same thing with the Atlantic. It's almost exclusively Ontario and Quebec. So there's a lot of fucking issues between, between how the, the, those cultures are run for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was a way of arguing those things as well, uh, to, to basically create the unified approach. But we had to, we, we had to have the West unified. We had to have Alberta, BC, and Manitoba all mm-hmm. on the same page and Saskatchewan all on the same page and going, look, stop towing the line with Quebec. This is not, this is not, you know, the 1890s anymore. Yeah. We, we need to pull everything into modernity. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, like generally when they roll things out in Canada, I mean, just look at the vaccines or getting none in Alberta here pretty yep. well. I mean, yeah, they've vaccinated some of the elderly, some of the sick. But compared to the states, you know, we're woefully behind what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, um, the U.S. has that military backing it, right? The military is rolling it out. And like I said, there's not a whole lot of industries I would trust to be more efficient and effective with their fucking uh, yeah. the, their, their delivery of projects than the United States military. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's so much like there's, there's so much that goes into that 
It's part of their culture. Yeah. And now, uh, to get back on UBI here, I mean, ultimately, what 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 do you think the uh, the, the amount of money should be so, for UBI? Like, think- what what would the what would the perfect system for you be if you were setting up a UBI system in Canada today? So I would want to have a federal minimum that respects the provinces approach, mostly because the difference between living in Vancouver and Edmonton and Regina and Nakusp is drastic, yeah. right? Yeah. Like agreed. So the the amount that you'll need to live is uh, is going to change. Now the other thing I want to point out is I don't think that there should be any entitlement to living where you want to live if you are at at or below the poverty poverty line. So I don't think a place like Vancouver should have to supplement, you know, fucking six grand a month to be able to cover your rent and all of that just because that's how costly it is to live in Vancouver or Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Using our more bloated examples. But I think that so each each province has a poverty uh, poverty line. In my opinion, I would prefer a negative income tax. So I have two different approaches that I that I'm okay with. Yeah. Um, the first one I like is the thousand dollars a month to uh, on a citizenship basis. I think that that I, I like that idea. I do think citizenship um, also prevents people from coming here, collecting money on a student visa, and then fucking off. Mm-hmm. So I want I, I would want to have that as part of the mandates. Um, but I would want that to be rolled out on a buy local card. So something that's restricted can't be used um, for specific purchases with specific companies. So it has to be a local kind so of thing. So a, a, local, a, small a more industry. fiat currency, like a different fiat currency. Kind of. Well, I mean, you can do it with a digital card, sure. right? Like you can yeah. easy, you can easily do it with a, like, oh, we're going to have our own uh, interact, but we're going to call this Schmiza, right? Or whatever we want to call <laughs> it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we have the Toonie, we have the Looney, now we'll have the Triny. I yeah. don't know, right? I don't know. Yeah. Um but yeah, so we can but we we could we could always figure a way, right? Like mm-hmm. there but I do think that that kind of idea of supporting local supporting small businesses um would make sense, right? Uh and we would we would then see those businesses being able to further employ more people locally, yeah. which would allow them to expand as opposed to I mean in the in Canada, we do not have a large amount of um franchises that exist internationally that are originated in canada we don't have have a a lot of manufacturing at all well not even manufacturing even even just even just in restaurants or Mm -hmm. or in tech stores or anything it's not like future shop went and took out best buy other way around right like white spot might be in a handful of places but well i think a lot of the reason is is because as soon as a uh, company in canada uh, becomes overwhelmingly uh, profitable they become bought out yeah, uh, like I've worked for three companies now that have been bought out by American or European interests. I mean, uh, Rona, when I was working there as a manager, yep. uh, my last few months with them, they paid me to go to all the stores in Alberta and draw blueprints. And I knew it was coming. Yep. I mean, like, why else would you need floor plans on all your buildings and what's in overstock? Yep. I mean, you're you're selling. And uh, when I when I kind of communicated that I knew that, they kept me on the project because they kept uh, like every two weeks they'd switch. Yeah. But then, you know, I called head office. I said, just out of curiosity. I mean, the reason why we're doing this is because we're selling the company. Right. And then uh, they were like, well, okay. Yeah. You're going to do the rest of Alberta. And um, <laughs> I was like, okay. And they, they paid me a 20% bonus to do it. So I was, yeah. I was happy doing it. Right. I was basically doing what I'm doing bonus now. had an NDA attached to it. Uh, no, 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 no NDA at all. <laughs> um, 
Not that time. Uh, the uh, the other time I was working for another Canadian company was Carproof. Yeah. Uh, they got bought out by IHS Market out of Germany. And uh, it, it's just sad because our, our dollar is just so much below the U.S. dollar and the euro that, uh, you know, these companies can just look at us and say, oh, that's a pittance of an investment to buy this company. Yeah. You but know, now, like it's like buying anything in Canada is 30 percent off if you think about it. But that's right? the thing is, like, if you if you have a fiat currency that basically all all international competitors will know that domestic Canadians like actual citizens can only spend that currency at locally invested places. Now the valuation for those property uh, for those companies changes. Their offers are going to be way less attractive, and the likelihood that they sell is going to go decrease. So they can True. grow more organically uh, within the country. But I think in order to roll this out, you'd need an overwhelming um, reform of the tax code for small business, at least for a short term. Yeah, well, I know? think reform for the tax code in general. I mean, we've talked yeah. about this is needed, right? Like yeah. the, the reality is, is we still tax people making less than forty nine thousand dollars a year. At fifteen percent, that's insane, yeah. right? Like if you're if you're under, I, I mean, maybe not forty nine, but under forty grand, you're yeah. ba- you're barely you're barely going through after taxes, right? The mm-hmm. reality, like, because you're, you're taxed on all of your purchases, that should be enough on those people. Those people don't need to have any more taxes taken out of their pocket. Absolutely, yeah. and and I think that when you realize that, and we realize how much it would cost to stop that, that like so the amount of money it would cost to stop taxing the people that are already in the bottom rungs would fund a good portion of the pilot program to start this. If you're doing it as a, as a negative income tax, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it's actually, it's, you're almost taking money from the same origins and just giving it back to them rather than putting it into this paternalistic system that says, yeah, if you do all, if you meet all of these minimums, then you're good because most uh, of those people are in those positions because they don't meet minimums. Now I've been, I've issues. been sitting on this side, listening a lot, mainly this podcast, but you know, it's uh it's because I, I don't want to come out and just say I flat out agree with you <laughs> as soon as we as soon as we started. Yep. Uh, you know, I've been playing devil's advocate on a lot of these points. And, you know, I think UBI could be implemented possibly effectively, but there's just so many other things you need to change in society first yep. and set up uh, properly. I mean, with our current tax code where, you know, either north in anywhere in North America where we have this huge wealth gap. Uh, installing a UBI is just going to literally increase the cost of everything else. It'll be like that scene in In Time with Justin Timberlake where they get a million hours and they start loading up everybody's clocks and then all you just see all the signs change like oh a burger's you know 2 minutes is now 4 minutes. Yeah. You know, it's just inflation that that's kind of what I'm worried about. So the microinflation like I said, aspect. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you look at it and you say, okay, well, if we restructure the taxes so that, you know, more middle class will have more wealth and we look at taxing the super wealthy a little more aggressively, simplifying our tax code on top of, you know, taking funding away from, you know, bureaucrats that just spend it, you know, I, I'm sure there's the money there if you just look at the waste of our federal government, like, for example, our infrastructure budget. Yeah. federally uh, i think it was 40 billion dollars they can only account for 20 billion dollars of that yeah and oh, they've that, done they... audit after audit now let me ask you this tristan if you went to the grocery store and you came home and you say honey i just spent two grand but i only have receipts for a thousand dollars what would your wife do to you man 
Oh, probably not a whole lot. She probably just laughed and thought I went to the grocery store stoned again. Yeah, um, but like but <laughs> that's literally but, how we're operating. Oh yeah, budgets. Well, there's but, there's, and, but that goes back to our tax combo, right? <laughs> like we want. I, I, you and me both agree immediately on the fact that mm-hmm. we want to see the chain. I want to be yeah. able to track where that money is going. But I, I do not want the current government of Canada implementing a UBI. So would you agree that it's easier to hide shady practices in complex systems or simple ones? Uh, definitely complex. So yeah. one of the things that UBI does is there's about 40 intersecting organizations and groups that on a federal and provincial level that deal with poverty and homelessness right now. Mm-hmm. And probably hundreds, if not thousands of registered charities that are also their goals mm-hmm. are to do it. Most of which are religious, most of whom don't actually work towards ending poverty. So we when you realize that there's all this bureaucracy and middle ground that's already dealing with this one kind of scourge of society kind of idea mm-hmm. hands in quotes i don't have camera on me right now definitely met, did not mean that literally but but uh when you, when you have all of these systems there what we have to realize is if it's going to be hidden anywhere it'll be hidden in that system not ubi ubi yeah. it'll be very obvious where our shortcomings are yeah so i do think that i agree that there's going to be costs. I don't know that you have to actually restructure it at the outset because if you put it in, it's going to force restructure yeah. because it's going to, as you you basically have to. Now, the argument from the left and why a lot of the time. But you, you don't actually, understand that anytime there's a restructure, people suffer. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's not just like, oh, you lost your job. It's everybody in this building is now unemployed. Yep. And that, the you know, the repercussions, you know, now granted, you know, like you said, a lot of these charities are top heavy and, you know, they, they, they take a lot off the top to do very little, in my opinion, for what they collect for. I mean, there's a lot of good charities out there. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, when you're running a nonprofit organization and you have a fleet of aircraft. Yeah. I mean, that's quite, kind of where I'm like, why do you need six um, G6s? If you have you know, a six-story church on Burrard Street in Vancouver <laughs> and you don't pay property taxes, yeah, yeah. I think you can go fuck yourself. That That's exactly it. I so, mean, I, I think if we restructured, because here's the thing, I mean, if, if they just roll UBI out and then, you know, all these churches and charities now all of a sudden don't really need to provide a service that's already been provided for, I mean, they lose well, tax exempt status and people, but hate. that's the thing. Then, then you're going after voter base. Well, and that's politically. the thing. It's, it's politically, it's, it's there. That's is the kind of common. And that's why a, like, a UBI thing no would just behind our argument. Yeah, exactly. A UBI thing would just exactly, um, terrify a lot of these churches, a lot of these, uh, you know, non-for-profits, a lot of industry that, you know, would see, okay, well, we're either going to have to pay more for labor uh, to get people to you just just work that's that's the logic you're going to be dealing with now i yeah. agree with you in a lot of ways but if you if you look at just the the dumb rhetoric uh that's going to come from the right there is a little bit of you know truth to it because there's always going to be that argument of well if i start giving this guy two grand a month what am i going to get out of him you know like you, you, you talked a lot about people with just a high school education i mean Canada, our percentage of, uh, of post-secondary is a lot higher mm-hmm. um, just because, again, our social safety net allows it. True. So, again, even just comparing... It's also cheaper in Canada to get a post-secondary degree. 
for now. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Depending on well, case by case, the United States has plenty of affordable colleges. The problem is, is yeah. that they're just not they're just not the the uh, upper echelon ones. But I, like, like all I'm saying is, when we're operating with a federal government that hasn't had a budget in 24 months, 25 months now, yeah. And we're going to give them clear voice to say, okay, now we're going to let you print checks for everybody. I don't want that one bit. I, I want. I, I want. want this I want this. Or uh, sorry, I don't want this going through politics. Exactly, so the, but that's that's how it's going to have to go. Not necessarily, <sighs> and that's the unique aspect. Okay. So the reason why a lot of people, and this is the, this doesn't actually get fleshed out a lot, but mo- a lot of people on the left um, express some concern about UBI because of exactly what happened in Manitoba. And exactly what's happened in a lot of other places that's implemented it. The second a new government comes in, it was a conservative government that was elected after three years of successful trials in Manitoba. They pulled it, mm-hmm. right? So they stopped the funding. They didn't provide funding to actually uh, look into all of the data that they collected. It took 25 years for a professor, uh, Evelyn something or other, I can't remember her last name, to go through it all and actually pull out all the data. So that happened like 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so... When you you don't want it to be something that's implemented via legislation because legislation can be amended, changed, and all of that. What that's you exactly need to do, it. Exactly. So what we need to do is actually Im- embed it into the charter. So if you embed it into your right to life, liberty, and freedom, uh, freedom of person, right? Right to life as including basically being at the living standard within society. Mm-hmm. And you can actually have a legal argument that fall, that flows that way. And that actually prevents kind of like the abortion argument doesn't exist in Canada because it's not a it's it's not a legislative decision. It was a court based one. And we can't reverse those decisions like they can in the U.S. It's not Mm -hmm. a unilateral position. You can you can change your approach, but it has to be happening through dissented cases all the way through. So and I'm throwing weird words in there. Dissent is when so on a on a uh, panel of judges. So if you're in a uh, an appeal court, appellate court, there's three justices that sit and, and listen. And then if you're in the Supreme court, there's nine. Um, and a dissenting opinion is just with one of the judges. It doesn't, uh, in the appellate court would be, uh, only one in the Supreme. It could be as many as four judges where they disagree with the majority. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a dissenting opinion, but those opinions are what's used to basically expand law in the future. If you get a dissent, if you have a judge sitting on the Supreme court going, Oh, I don't really agree with the majority, but that is, the majority is about to rule on how the law is going to be interpreted going forward. There's going to be a tons of lawyers licking their lips going, how do I use that dissenting opinion to change that decision? Right. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is you have to actually navigate the legal system and find a way to shove it in there. So there are there are ways of doing it. We've talked about how the federal government has absolutely hilarious limits. The fact that they've tried to criminalize my, manufacturing of margarine, things of that nature. Yeah. And that's because. They've never actually created an existential limit on their power, right? Which is shocking. They can make anything illegal under the criminal law. Anything. Anything. There is almost no private limits because they can actually go around the charter as well when they're doing it through criminal yeah. law. Yeah. Um, within within degrees, but they could also then just enact Section 33, which suspends the charter. So they can do that at any point in time. Um the power for the federal government is far too large, in my opinion, in that sense, when it comes to the criminal law. But the reason why I'm bringing that up is there's actually a way of, again, arguing that uh, John Stuart Mill, he's a philosopher, his harm principle, which is the only valid use of government uh, control is to prevent harm in interactions between individuals. Well, this is this is kind of the other thing I wanted to tie that into is we can't operate a UBI with a deficit budget. 
It, 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 like we are almost one point eight trillion dollars in federal debt. Yep. Uh, Most it, Western countries are in massive. Well, yeah. Debt. I mean, but how? Like, here's the thing: if we start giving this money out and go deeper and deeper into debt, that's a presumption, though, right? We've kind of we kind of just brushed over. Well, we kind we kind of said a few examples of you know where you know some money might be saved. But, you know, ultimately what I'm saying is if we're going to take a stab at UBI, I think it should be done. We should balance our books first and then do that. The the problem with balancing the books is that's never going to happen. There's not going to be an investment strategy that actually benefits the people that's going to work outside of socializing the 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 uh, manufacturing aspect of things. Because, again, if you if we want to go Alaska's route and socialize profits we can do that we can definitely do that right where we can we can kind of like i've talked off the air before with you but we we could actually invest in in hemp right mm-hmm. we could invest in hemp on a massive scale which can then create hempcrete with uh which would pre- prevent us from having to buy uh the the necessary materials from other companies um especially international ones you can create hemp plastics which when we're trying to get rid of single-use plastics now we're the biggest manufacturer of of single-use clean efficient pr- plastics on the planet mm-hmm. uh it's also the most potent uh, uh um uh, substance uh, or rather contains the most potent form of cbd so we would then be able to decrease our healthcare costs on the other ends but that's socialism right where where the government or the people uh, the government on behalf of the people owns the means of production of a specific thing that can then generate profit. That's the only way that you're actually going to be profiting off people. If we're falling below and you want to balance the books, we have to cut public services. That's really what you're saying. But to cut public services then cuts trust in it and then people's spending goes down even more. And so mm-hmm. then you're actually... Re- uh, it's it's the inverse of microeconomics, right? Macro is supposed to always do what the opposite of what micro does. So when we're all poor as people... The government has to invest so that we don't fuck up, like we don't fall to the depths, right? Yeah. And the opposite is true. When we're all benefiting, the government should be saving, right? Saving for a rainy day, put mm-hmm. it in that rainy day fund, right? And when, like right now, if we realize that we're in a deficit, so we're already spending and we already have the rainy days here, we're doing it fucking wrong. We're doing Mm. it wrong, and we have to find a way to attack that issue better. Whether it's socializing a major industry, which we could do, we could we could create that kind of socialized approach. I don't think it would be all as beneficial as it would have been maybe twenty five, thirty years ago. Mm -hmm. But we could we could go about it. Um, But again, I think it would take kind of like you said, a little bit of an injection. Yeah, and and the uh, the 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 only other thing is. I, d- I do think that when we're talking about giving people money, there's almost a guarantee that a good portion of that, but let's even put it at the low end of 20% gets put back into the economy. Now we're actually only dealing with 80% of the figures we were even talking about to begin with, right? And if if that 20% is back into the economy and creates X amount of jobs, then you're eventually going to be pulling these people off as well, right? So it is cyclical. There, it's It's a long-term plan, though. And that's something that has always smelled bad to politicians because they need to get reelected every four years. Yeah. And that's the hardest part is to try and create a, a, a possible plan that would benefit people, but will also make you electable in the next cycle mm-hmm. when you might not have seen reaped the benefits of your decisions yet. Yeah. Well, right? I think 
at a minimum, if a government's going to implement a UBI, it needs to have a budget. Oh yeah, right? I do now, think a budget uh, is important. That but... that that to me is like what I what I like UBI. Um, after this conversation, I'm kind of on the fence about it. To be honest, you know, I especially want it implemented by the Trudeau government. Either. That's that exactly what I'm saying. I wouldn't want it implemented by yeah. O'Tool or by by Trudeau. No, I, I would I, trust Singh more than either of those two. And <laughs> even that is like tentative at best. Yeah, but well, I you know I I, I think. If if we're really going to try to take a stab at UBI, like I'm saying, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe doing it when we're in such deficit might actually solve the problem. And, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, you brought up a lot of good points there. I, I just don't think that um, it would be a good idea to implement under the current government. No, and, I, and I think that... Um, I, I think that there needs to be a consensus of... What a dollar's worth before we learn how to, you know, send the money well, that's out. Why, like, fuck the uh, government. But, uh, get the courts right. That's mm-hmm. that's what where we want to go. Is we want to get our it embedded in law. I don't mm-hmm. want to. I don't trust politicians to save my life. Now Fair I don't enough. trust a lot of lawyers either, and we've gone over that. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the law. A lot of lawyers will double down. Like we've talked about how cops, when in doubt, they'll double down on on the team, the jersey kind of yeah, aspect yeah, yeah, of it yeah, because absolutely. that's the culture they know. A lot of lawyers, not not all of them, but a lot of them, their culture is still look to the law. And if you can get that law to look more like what we want to see, mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of lawyers that might have argued against it now on your side just by virtue of the fact that it's on paper on your side, mm-hmm. right? And it's a horseshit fucking acknowledgement that these people genuinely don't really think a whole lot mm-hmm. but it's enough to appease them right? well you know um i uh i did want to keep these now to an hour yeah and we're kind of getting close to that hour here uh, i would like to uh you know thank you for pointing out a lot of things that i didn't consider and you know it all kind of comes into uh you know the the fun time of this podcast, yeah. you know, I, 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 like I said, I, I, I firmly came into this, um, quite against UBI and I know I've been quite quiet through this whole podcast, but that's, that's kind of how I like to work. You know, if someone knows more about something than I do, I want to hear that perspective. I don't just start, you know, rambling on and asking dumb questions, you no, know, I, and um, I like the pushback, right? I think, I think it, it's more genuine when, because I had I had to do a lot of research because I'm on the mm-hmm. fence, right? Like I'm yeah. typically I'm a fence sitter. For a guy on the left, I have a lot of things that I like I can point out a problem, but I don't know what the ne- necessarily what the best solution is. Mm-hmm. And because I'm I'm kind of OCD, I'm really big on efficiency. I think it's important that I pick the best option. I yeah. genuinely don't know what the best option is here, but I do and know it's hard to say that um, all of the other options I presented I think are better options than what we're currently doing. Yes. And that's really as much as I needed to know to go, well, if that's the case, all we need to agree on is that stop what we're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and we'll find a new way to move forward, that's but what exactly we're doing it. sucks. And, you know, whether it's, you know, doing the, the pure capitalist thing, like we said, and letting businesses fail and letting them compete and, you know, having corporations decide and make the decision of, you know, is it worth it, uh, you know, for our stockholders to make 250 million or take care of our people and get more sales? Yeah. Uh, you know, that these are all theoretical things. And I think in a lot of ways, UBI is a theoretical thing, but it's quickly becoming, 
you know, uh, publicly talked about. And it's 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 more and more in the public sphere with every election. Well, and you if know, South Korea keeps this up. So they went from 200,000 yeah. to 13 million people on it. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about that 30 percent threshold being in five years. I imagine that since Andrew Yang even got airplay during a Trump president's yeah. uh, reelection campaign, the reality is that I think the next presidential campaign, 2024, is going to be the most extreme one we've ever seen. Yes. It's going to be radical change regardless, because this yeah. pendulum's stuck in the middle. Right? And it so is. The next and, be- you know, and that's that's rather unfortunate, but we're seeing a lot of these centrist um, figureheads, you know, get getting to that age where they can't. Yep. You know, uh, continue on their dinosaur opinions. And, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, the U.S. is either going to have a tremendous shift to the left or, unfortunately, uh, for um, a lot of folks, a tremendous shift to, uh, you know, nationalism. Um, I'm not saying the right because it's not the right. Um, oh, the right The right got left behind long ago. Yeah. Like family values, all of that. You are now the, like the right in the U.S., the Republican side is the Tea Party. <clears throat> it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's what used to be the fringe minority extreme side. Well, and that's exactly why I said on a previous podcast, I don't know why they didn't all band together and immediately remove Trump. It was too profitable um, not to. Yeah, and that's that's the other part of this problem. Uh, when we keep politics in these decisions that ultimately might help people, you know, uh, just how bungled everything gets. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. In the next uh, five years, uh, there's going to be a huge movement for both sides. And I don't think people on the center are going to get the support that they get. No. Um, because I don't think Biden's going to be able to really reconnect on a lot of people. I think that the, um, if the DNC did what they did with Hillary, which was not listen to their fan base and just go with their b- basic yeah. bullshit approach, like just non-st- nonsense rhetoric, good versus evil kind of shit, yeah. then they're going to lose. Right. The one thing that the right has always been able to do, or the, 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 the Republican Party, the GOP, has always been able to do better than the left is cater to their fan base well like, yeah i i'd agree with that um it, it's a lot easier to get those people out to vote too just because of how gerrymandering works yep uh that's that's kind of the other uphill battle you know um i think to kind of wrap ubi up here today is it could work if we did certain changes you know if we started looking at our systems um, you know, with that microscope and saying, okay, well, this takes in way too much money and is inefficient. We could make this more efficient by getting rid of this, this, and this. I think going through the legal system would be the only way to implement UBI. I yeah. don't think doing it politically would really work at all. Even in Canada, I mean, the uh, just look at the gun laws, you know. Uh, they started implementing them, then they take them away, then they implement more, and now they're taking more away. That's the last thing you want with a system like this. Well, and then it's case-by-case case for mm-hmm. charter arguments, right? Yeah. And that's what you don't. You don't want to deal with the legislation comes out first, and then it's case-by-case case where only people who have access to the means to be able to make those cases or people who are caught up on the wrong side of things mm-hmm. are the ones who are making those arguments. It's not what we want. We need... We need the middle to have access to the services that the middle pay for. Yeah. Right. But right now, the the top is paying for services for the absolute bare minimum bottom and nothing else. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us are just caught up in the middle. So, yeah, I think that we kind of agree. There's not like a sure, clear way of going. I think that the current system is pretty messy and fucked. But yeah, there's definitely you know, and, better uh, ways to do what we're doing. I I, I think if uh, if if someone said, hey. 
if someone pulled me aside before this conversation and said, hey, Evan, UBI, I would have been like, no, no, it doesn't make sense. But now, you know, we've kind of shared a few points and, you know, I might have put a few holes in a few things that you said. I mean, I don't think a tremendous cut to the military would really do the states as much good as you said. Uh, but, um, you know, I think if they restructured enough and if they truly did it in a way that wouldn't be uh, a partisan issue, yeah, uh, it, it could roll out and solve a lot of issues. You know, what's funny is that that one quarter of the military budget would be uh, the savings over roughly six years if they went to universal health care in the U.S. Well, so they yeah. could actually just... They could actually use socialism to fund further socialism. Kind of fucking cool. But Canada, kind of unique. I do agree, though, there's definitely, there's weaknesses, right? But that's why we have these conversations, because I don't like having a weak argument, and you don't want to have a weak argument winning. So why, like, neither of us would want that. So absolutely, it's great when we can poke holes in it, but I also love that at the end of the day, we also, you know, can share a blunt and a beer and (laughs) and enjoy the rest of our day as well. 100%, man. You know, uh, I think we should write a book about how, like, (laughs) things should operate. Yeah. You know, be the next, like, Marx and Engel kind of deal, you know? Yeah, we'll call ourselves the the Gucci Gucci gang. (laughs) The Gucci gang. (laughs) Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. There we go. (laughs) Well, uh, thanks for tuning in guys i uh, really appreciate the uh seven times listening if you've been here for every episode it's yeah. uh it's been a blast uh next week um we're gonna keep it a mystery folks yeah we're we gonna have you, we're gonna keep you guessing <laughs> we're gonna keep you guessing oh yeah but come back next week it'll be and if worth you have your any time. ideas for us feel free to free the to share them with us on uh, facebook we'll be uh, getting our t- twitter and tiktok going forward in the next couple weeks here oh yeah and then it's gonna then we're gonna we're gonna hit the top 10 charts folks oh yeah it's gen x won't know what hit him nope all right have a good one guys <laughs> have a good one